0: Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. Okay, we are about to get real nerdy today. Um, If anyone is familiar with our other podcast, Draw Near, uh, we have shorter episodes within there that we call shorties. And usually my shorties are all about scripture and just kind of diving into church teaching and where the Bible talks about specific things. So that's kind of what I'm going to do today for this episode. So grab your Bibles, grab your pencils. I'm going to basically try to teach you a little bit about the priesthood and where it is in scripture today. And we're already a few episodes into this show on the Eucharist, but before we eventually get into things like um, like the real presence, transubstantiation, the mass, all the things that you would expect us to obviously talk about when we're doing a show on the Eucharist, I thought it was a good idea and honestly, kind of a needed topic to lay the foundation for the priesthood. Because honestly, if I were someone who, like, I did not believe in the real presence, or if I was a non-Catholic and I was kind of wondering, why do we need priests? Like, what makes what makes them different from my pastor? Why do they get to consecrate bread and wine, whatever? I'd kind of want that question answered before really caring about the actual mystery of the Eucharist. So we're just going to dive right in. Within the Catholic Church, there is big T tradition that points to the apostles as the new priests and the apostolic succession, which is handed on um, to the bishops and to the priests. Big T tradition. So as Catholics, we believe in both scripture and tradition As divine revelation. So through scripture and tradition, God reveals truth to us. This is something that is different from many Protestant or non-denomination churches because they believe in sola scriptura. Sola scriptura, which means the Bible alone. Um, They view the Bible alone as the infallible source. That is not true for the Catholic Church. Um, And scripture actually says as much. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15, it says, so then brethren, Stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. So by word of mouth is tradition of the church's teachings. And then the letter is obviously scripture because that's what scripture is. It's, it's writings to communities like Paul has many letters or encyclicals, like they're all letters written to communities. So by word of mouth, which is tradition or by letter, which is scripture. So how how many of us, like if you think of your families and think of your homes, like how many of us have traditions in our homes that we receive from our parents and our parents received them from their parents and so on. Or like we have a recipe or something and it's not written down, but everybody knows what's in it and we all know where it came from. It's kind of, that's kind of a simple analogy, but the same thing is true. Like there is no way. That the gospel writers wrote down everything that happened in three years when Jesus was with them or everything that happened in the 30 years of Jesus's life before his ministry. We actually get very little on that in scripture. That's because that's not the purpose of the gospels. That's not what they were meant for. I mean, even just look at Acts, like Acts at the very beginning, it says Jesus spent 40 days with the apostles after his resurrection and he was preaching about the kingdom of God. Like, where is all of that in Acts? He spent forty days with them preaching on the kingdom, and then Opus oh, ends. Like we don't get anything about those forty days, so we know that Scripture does not hold everything. It doesn't have all of the information that we we need and that we want, and that God wanted handed on, just like Second the, uh, Thessalonians says. Some things in Acts, obviously, in those forty days, show up in other books. Like the other writers kind of carry that on, but also these teachings were passed on through the apostles and through their successors, okay? So we do know that there is evidence in tradition for the priesthood, but for this episode, I wanna primarily go and pull from scripture um, because I think hopefully this especially speaks to any non-Catholics or even Catholics who are just curious about like where the priesthood is in the Bible and the priesthood's authority, So that's where I want to start. I want to start with authority because I think this word um, authority has almost become like almost a naughty word today. Like in our culture, it's social taboo to talk about authority because we live in a world where it's like, you know, I want to do things my way. No one's going to tell me what's right and wrong. I get to choose, right? I can control my body, my life, morality is whatever I want to make it. Dr. Sri, Dr. Edward Sri, he actually calls this the for me mentality, you know, so we can say, well, that might be what you believe or that might be good for you, but for me, and then both people are allowed to like have this truth, but that's not how things work. Like, you know, truth is not whatever you want to make it. God created us. And so he created us with a capacity to receive his authority well, right? Because God is our authority. He created us with this capacity to receive him well, not just to receive it, but to find joy in it and to find freedom in it when we let go of this um confusing and mistaken culture and what the culture says like you don't need to answer to anyone you can do whatever you want when we let go of that and we cling to god and what he calls us to there's this great beauty and freedom in it so god creates us to receive his authority and this is where priests receive their authority from god's authority because jesus is god and Jesus gave them their authority. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus is sending out the apostles with the same authority that the Father sent him. Okay, that wasn't even the nerdy part. All right, get your Bibles ready because we're going to kind of dive in here now. There are a lot of scripture passages that could be referenced in context to the priesthood, Um, just to name a couple here. Jesus in the temple, Uh, In Luke chapter 20, where he's being challenged and he he goes through all of these accounts and parables with the scribes and Pharisees. And then in verse 41, he makes a connection to, to King David. He's basically telling the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus himself, he's the high priest and the king that is spoken of in Psalm 110. Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus literally gives his authority to the 12. John chapter 20, where the apostles are given Jesus's authority to go and forgive sins. Um, The Last Supper, obviously, which we just celebrated last week on Holy Thursday, when they're given authority to continue the celebration of the heavenly banquet, which we get to partake in every single day if we want to at Mass. Right? They're given the authority to change bread and wine into his body and blood. Do this. Do this in memory of me, and um, we could look at the parable of the wicked tenant, which I'm actually going to, um, Matthew chapter 16, where the papacy is established with uh, with Peter as the rock. Right? There are so many scripture passages I could go on, but this episode is less than 30 minutes, so I'm just going to um, just going to pick a couple here actually, because my primary message that I would like to get across in this short episode is really that um, the priesthood is not. Some invention of the Catholic Church. It has precedent in the way that God chose to rule his people in the Old Testament. And of course, how God renews and how he fulfills in the new priesthood and continues today. So the priesthood is something given to us by God thousands of years ago. It was reestablished in a new and different way by Jesus. And I'll explain that. And then it's carried on faithfully in Jesus' church which is the Catholic Church. I always love that. Side note here. The Catholic Church is Jesus's church. I don't think I've actually ever said this to like Protestant friends or people asking about the faith, um, either because, you know, I'm a scared cat, lack of courage, or just the situation like pastorally does not call for my sassiness. Um, but I always love when like I hear, oh, yeah, you know, our church is, is five years old. Our pastor Chris founded it. It's seeing lots of growth. And I just kind of would be like, oh, that's so good. Our church is pretty old, too. Jesus founded it, you know. Anyways, that's kind of sassy. So, (laughs) Um, But anyways, the priesthood. The priesthood is in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. Okay, so I'm going to show you um, just a couple places where we get evidence of this. The first thing I think to point out, though, is that um, even in the Old Testament, like, Jesus is the one who reveals so much of that meaning of the Old Testament. Paul writes that. He actually says that, you know, if you read the Old Testament without a, a mind for Christ, that you're reading it veiled. There's a veil over the true meaning of the Old Testament. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, The same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is that veil taken away. So we're meant to read the New and the Old Testament together and only through Jesus Christ do we get the full meaning and the full understanding. So with this, we can look at the Old Testament priesthood and we're going to look at it kind of in light of of Jesus and what Jesus says. So the Old Testament had a priesthood. Originally, priests were Um, The father of the family, essentially. So the full blessing was a part of the inheritance that the father would give to his children. Specifically, the oldest son would receive the full blessing. So this this priestly role would then fall to the firstborn son, um, who then would take on those priestly roles. And then after the golden calf in the Old Testament, after the the idolatrous worship of the golden calf, the priestly role fell to those who were faithful um, and they didn't fall into idolatry. And those were f- the, the people from the line of Levi. Okay. So then the priests were the Levites. Now, some people may then argue, um, yeah, but Jesus fulfills that. Like, and I already said that, you know, Jesus renews and fulfills and reveals things from the Old Testament. You know, some people might say he's the high priest. And so we don't really need priests anymore. However, Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay. He sits at the right hand. He's in the kingdom of heaven. But he has given us a foretaste of that heavenly kingdom of the heavenly banquet here on earth. And he does that in the church. So he's left us other people with his authority to carry on as our ministers and as our priests. So I don't have time to get into all of that, but we have a whole episode um, from Draw Near, our other podcast, that covers more on this. If you want to go in and kind of dive deeper, it's called Until the King Returns. That's the title of that episode, and I'll link it in the show notes if you want to keep going with that. But this new priesthood um, that carries on today was actually even foretold of in the Old Testament before Jesus. Okay, so in Isaiah chapter 66, starting at verse 20, it says, and they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as an offspring to the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. So, not just the Levites will be priests, but those from all nations, Jews and Gentiles. This is different from the priesthood of the Old Testament. Okay. And then it says in Isaiah 56, verse 6, and the foreigners, again, talking about, you know, bring people from all nations, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister. This word here for minister is sarat. Sarah, and it's used over and over in the Old Testament to describe priestly activity. So there was this like expectancy and this understanding that with a new covenant, with the anointed one, there's also going to be a new priesthood. Like this was understood, this was a common belief. So the Old Testament even points to there will be a new priesthood. Okay, there's an expectancy of a new priesthood here, and it's not like the one of the old covenant. Now, Jesus references this new priesthood several times in the New Testament as well. Jesus did not leave us to our own understanding, he taught others, he lived life with them for years. And then he left other people with the authority to continue this teaching. Scripture says as much in Matthew 18, 18. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There was an understanding of binding and loosing. They were often associated with the law or teaching. So Jesus is saying like what you teach I will hold up in heaven. They're given this authority. I think there's clear differences between the Catholic faith and our belief in tradition and the magisterium and what is being taught and handed on and, you know, Protestant churches that pop up and have been there for for five years or however many years. There's a very real difference. Like we don't get to make up our own truth. We don't get to interpret scripture. Like I think this is who God is. It's like, no, God tells us exactly who he is from thousands of years ago And he continues to tell us through the authority of those he has given to teach and continue to hand on that faith. So that lays the foundation, Okay, that the priesthood is not a new construct and a new priesthood was expected. So now let's get a little bit more into where Jesus himself actually points to this. One of the passages I referenced at the beginning was the parable of the wicked tenant, and we do have time to get into that, and I think it's an important passage to talk about when pointing to the priesthood. So the context of this passage is that Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he has been preaching in the temple, he's been healing, he drove out merchants, and so then in Matthew 21, 23, it says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching, and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Okay, so it's in the context of answering this question from the priests and the elders that he gets into the parable of the wicked tenant. So keep that in mind as we listen to this, like who he is speaking to. So the par- this parable begins in verse 33. There was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and lent it out to tenants and went into another country. So I'm going to pause here for a second. A lot of times in scripture, um, there will be times where a a simple verse or a really short passage will be quoted. Um, This is a lot of times this happens in the gospels. But the point of that is, is not just to like say the one line, but it's actually meant to call to mind like the entirety of the passage that's being quoted and the entire meaning of the passage that's being quoted. We see this actually with Jesus when he's on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, a lot of times we just read that one line and we're like, oh, you know, he, he thinks God's abandoned him. But that is actually how Psalm 22 starts. So Jesus on the cross is saying the the very first lines of Psalm 22. And so the people around him who would have known scripture, they would have known Psalm 22 and that that's what he was doing. And while it begins this way, the same, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 actually ends in the deliverance of God's people and in triumph. So Jesus is actually showing those at the cross that like his sacrifice in that moment is that triumph from Psalm 22. So this is very common in scripture. And this is exactly what is happening with this parable of the wicked tenant, um, right now. So when he is saying there was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press and built a tower, that's all familiar. Okay. So that is all coming from Isaiah five, verse one through seven. I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but just listen to a little bit of it. It says, my beloved had a vineyard. He dug it. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine press in it. Okay, so all very similar words. He's using those same words. So immediately their minds are going to go to this passage from Isaiah, which in their tradition was associated with the people of Israel. This passage is about the people of Israel. The tower was about the temple. The wine press was the altar. So we have this priestly temple imagery here in the parable from Isaiah. But wait, when Jesus is speaking this, there's something new. He lent it out to tenants and went to another country. So, oh, this isn't the same one from Isaiah. There's something new here it continues in verse 34 when the season of fruit drew near he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit and the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them it's commonly understood that the servants were the prophets like we can understand when he says servants to mean prophets when we're when we're trying to understand and discern the meaning of this parable afterward he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son but when the tenants saw the son they said to themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and have his inheritance and they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him obviously we know the son to be jesus right when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to those tenants And the scribes and the Pharisees answer, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them and they tried to arrest him right there. So there's a lot in this parable. Um, there's actually evidence here of a new temple, like a new building project, a new church, right? But we, we're we just focusing on the priesthood here. So the role to care for the vineyard, or as I pointed out from Isaiah, the vineyard, this passage is understood as like priestly temple, right? So the care for the vineyard is going to be taken away from the current tenants or the current priests, and it's going to be given to others. Now, Scripture says the scribes and the Pharisees understood that Jesus was talking about them. They were the wicked tenants, okay? And he's going to give the temple, he's going to give his ministry, his people, the people of Israel, all of that to new tenants. Jesus is announcing that there is going to be a new priesthood. Okay, He's confirming what the Old Testament said when it foretold about the foreigners becoming priests and and ministering in a priestly way. So I'm not going to show Jesus as the high priest, just for the sake of time. I think most of us can agree on that, like Jesus is the high priest. But Jesus gives his authority as high priest to others. Okay, So we see this in a few places in scripture, but I'm going to point out Luke chapter 9. Uh, Verse 34 and following. The context of this passage is that um, Jesus was performing miracles. He was healing. He was casting out demons. And the Pharisees accused him and they said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Well, who's the prince of demons? That would be the devil, right? And immediately after this, immediately after the current priests essentially say that Jesus is from the devil, it says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Why? Why were they sheep without a shepherd? Because the Pharisees were supposed to be their shepherds, right? But they aren't. The Pharisees were supposed to lead them to faithfulness, were supposed to lead them to the anointed one. And here they are calling the anointed one essentially from the devil. So they are, the people are like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his vineyard. Then guess what Jesus does? He sends out new laborers. Okay, beginning in Matthew chapter 10, it says, And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. These 12 Jesus sent out. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus gives his authority to the twelve, who are essentially now the new tenants of God's people. There is a new priesthood. And yes, this priesthood continues, and we see that it continues even after Jesus, our high priest, ascends. So we know that even though Jesus is no longer here, there is still a priesthood and there's still meant to be. And we see this in Acts right away in chapter one. It's after they returned to Jerusalem um, and they need to replace Judas because Judas was one of these 12 who was given authority. So in Acts one, verse 17, it, they're talking about Judas and they say, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So there's a share in a, a shared common communal ministry, right? There's a mission that they have. And in verse 20, it says, let his habitation become desolate and let there be no one to live in it and his office let another take. So Judas, one of the 12 had a share in, in this ministry that Jesus gave them authority in and his office, he has an office, Right. That another person needs to fill. There is a succession. So then what happens after this? They cast lots to see who is going to take Judas's place. All right. And lots is actually seen as a priestly practice. Um, I know it's they cast lots for Jesus's garments and that those are Romans. So they have a practice casting lots that are, is more like gambling. But to the Jews, casting lots was like um, it was a priestly practice, and it was basically like seen as allowing God's will to actually come about. And we see this with Zechariah, the priest. They cast lots, and then he goes into the temple and gets, you know, this this message about John the Baptist, All right? So cast lots was associated with the priesthood, and it was God's will. And they cast lots, and Matthias is ordained into the twelve. The priesthood continues, And it continues in the church today. So all of this, today's episode, is really to lay the foundation for the mass. Because Jesus gave authority in the priesthood. (laughs) His authority. And at the Last Supper, he changes bread and wine into his body and his blood. And he gave authority to those same people to do this. He says, do this in memory of me. So by virtue of their ordination and the succession from Jesus himself and the authority of Jesus and the one who sent him, the Father, priests are not just our average pastor, right? They are not like any other preacher. Yes, they're still men. And yes, they are still sinners, just like all of us. But they have been given a special grace and an authority to perform these miracles, And changing bread and wine into the body and blood of our Savior every single day at Mass, well, that's the greatest miracle there is.